You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hi everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com and of course I will answer as many as I can. So before we get started, a shout out to David. Good to have David back behind the glass. Been out for a while. We are happy to have David um, actually counting down to tell me when to start because he does it better than anyone. So school has started. Today, first day back, the kids are pumped. They're happy. They're behaved. Like, can you imagine getting in trouble the first day of school? Like, how? Like, you're just back. You're excited. And all the notebooks and the papers. My first day is is just getting everybody set up. Give me all the books you brought that we don't need for the next couple months. Let's get our notebooks. Let's put in all the photocopy papers into your notebooks. Let write down your name on your homework folders. Just getting everything arranged and set up. It's it's they're just excited to be back and we'll talk about a program and I'll bring out a puppet for a few minutes and they sort of get into it to see how I work how I roll, what I expect from them. And a real fun day, a real easy day. They'll go home. Everything was great. And uh, tomorrow they'll find out that we actually uh, have to learn something. But even tomorrow is probably, it's like, it's nice to start like on a Thursday. Because it's on a Thursday, it gives them a day or two to get acclimated, to remember what school is like, what a different grade is like, a different teacher is like. And then come back next week, ready to dive in. And uh, yeah, school's great. To, it's really great to be back. We are very pumped to be back in school. Of course, mothers love when school starts up because then they uh, get their house back. But okay. So very apropos, the Torah portion, A, talks a lot about charity. And it's the season I mean, it's always, I'm a fundraiser, right? So it's always the season of charity. But I guess in the Jewish calendar, with the high holidays coming, um, it's a time where people do a lot of fundraising. It's the end of the calendar year for a lot of people. Okay, we just started September, but we're getting there where there's a lot of charity, a lot of things about charity, and because the Torah portion allows for it. So I wanted to really take the next this show and the next one because I have so much information here and so many things that came to mind and every time I sit down more things pop into my head I figure let's 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 spend a couple of shows talking about charity so it is interesting from the most famous verses in the Torah that talk about charity um, it's not charity the way you imagine charity most of us if I talk to you about charity so you imagine that uh, uh, somebody has a cause, uh, a school, a poor person, somebody getting married, somebody needs medical care, 
poor children, whatever your you know, first thought is when you think about charity, it's because you want to give. You, there's, there's an organization. You believe in what the organization stands for. You believe in the goals of the organization. You want to help the organization reach their goals. It makes you feel good. So you will give whatever amount you feel is appropriate, what you can afford, your desire, all the things that go in to fundraising. But it's all voluntary at the end of the day, right? No one is putting a gun to your head and saying that you must give this organization X amount of dollars. There's no such thing. Welcome to the verse in this week's Torah portion. So aser to aser, which is a double language if you give a tenth. Give a tenth, give a tenth, which really means you can give up to a fifth, right, at 20%. So yeah, normally we, we look at... at at tithing, at charity, as a 10%, but the real good ones are, are really a 20%. And it's interesting, for most people, that's actually the limit. That We don't want people giving more than 20% because then all of a sudden we're afraid you'll spend everything and you'll be the one that needs to go into charity. Now, that's to the exclusion of the mega wealthy. Obviously, somebody who's mega wealthy, so he has a... $100 million in his bank account, so will it matter if there's only $80 million or $70 million or $60 million? I mean, big talker, what do I know about millions? But at the end of the day, the mega wealthy, if they choose to give a lot of charity, it's not affecting their day-to-day living. It's not affecting it. We're not discussing that they have to buy the yachts and the planes and the stuff. But it doesn't really affect what their life is going to be. But in general, 20% would be the max and 10% is what's usually understood. The only problem is I forgot to, didn't forget, I just didn't get up to yet, the rest of the verse. So it says you'll give 20% as kol tuazarecha, the grain of your field. Now as the Torah says, if you're a farmer and you grow, let's say, wheat, so you have to give 10% axios to the Levite. Now there's a, 2% actually goes to the Kohen, that's called Truma. And then there's the next 10% goes to the Levites. The Levites, their tribe, they didn't have land, they didn't own land. Their job was to work in the temple. Their job was to sit and study Torah. And therefore, they would travel around to collect the 10%. I'm a Levite, you can give me some of your, what's called Meiser, and the farmer, who probably was, how much could he study? He's busy working his farm all day. So he would have a list of questions on his refrigerator or whatever they put their lists on. And he'd go through all his questions. And the Levite's job was to sit there and help him get all the laws correct. Or he'd see something in the field and he'd comment, you know, you need to do this. You're not allowed to do this. Or he'd see something else. In other words, it was a partnership over here. Right? The Torah created that we need the people sitting and studying. We need the Levites to serve in the temple. We have the farmers working. So to make sure that we can support, that we can have all these people that are sitting and studying, so the farmers, it's a forced tax at the end of the day. So the Torah is giving a forced tax to support these Levites that are sitting and studying Torah. So it becomes very interesting. So this most important verse telling us about the concept of being charitable 
is really on grains, grains and wine or grapes and olives. And, and the rabbis came along and said, all well, other fruits and other produce. But that main forced tax is not charity the way you and I look at charity. Now, the person giving it should be happy to give it. The Torah says to give it. He should want to give it. He should feel good about giving it. But this is a forced tax. This is not the charity that we all think about when we think about charity. So that's just to, to open our eyes up a little bit. When we start looking, we're going to do that with more verses in the Torah until um, we discover where where our concept of charity comes from. Definitely our concept, the 10%, and other things are coming from this verse, even though this verse at face value is a forced tax. It is, it's called charity, but it's a forced tax. They mu- you must give it. Before we go on, talking about uh, charity, talking about uh, not a tax, but uh, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you guys love the show, and I need your help. We want the show to spread. Um, I need you to go to my homepage, hit that donate button, um, leave me a name, we'll give you a shout out, a memory of someone, happy birthday to someone, and in advance, I thank you for hitting that donate button. Okay, so while we're talking about um, this forced tax, there's a very famous parable. The parable says that uh, there was a farmer, he's getting older, and he calls his son and he says, son... Um, it's very important that you give the 10% to Levi. It's very, very important. Please make sure that you give 10%. So the son says, no problem. So the father passes away, and the son takes over the farm, and that first year, we'll just use simple numbers, the farm produces 100 silos of grain. So the son says, 100 silos. If I give... 10, 10 silos? I should give 10 silos to the Levite? That's a lot. I think he should be satisfied with nine. So the son gives nine. So he's giving, instead of 10%, he's giving 9%. So uh, the next year, interesting enough, the farm only produces 90 silos of grain. The son says, oh, this is not like last year. Last year I had 100. This year I have 90. I can't give nine. I'll give eight. You can see where this story is going. And sure enough, the farm the next year produces 80. He gives seven, produces 70. He gives six, produces 60, all the way down till he's left with 10 silos. And the parable says that's the lesson. If you're not going to give your 10%, all you're going to be left with in the end is your 10%. So, but let's let's back up a little bit. So, let's let's talk maybe attitude, right? The attitude has to be, right, that it's it's not my money. Now, as God can choose to make this one wealthy, God can choose to make this one poor, this one in between. Whatever level God chooses to put different people on and different organizations on, some have more money, some have less money. But at the end of the day, God is choosing who gets the money. It's interesting. Uh, everything is a test in this world. Can you serve God when you're poor? Can you serve God when you're wealthy? Being wealthy is a very hard test. Very hard test. There was a student of the Chavetz Chaim, and he says to the Chavetz Chaim, he says, you know, if I would be wealthy, I would give you so much money, you'd have nothing to worry about. 
And the Chavetz Chaim says, you know, it's easy to talk when there's no money in your pocket. Like all of us who dream how much charity we'll be give when we win the lottery um, because we don't have the money in our pocket. You don't have the money in your pocket. It's very easy to give away. Anyways, years later, this student had moved on to St. Petersburg, had become very wealthy, and the Chavetz Chaim actually went to this student to fundraise. So the Chavetz Chaim said to the student, he says, remember you told me that if you become wealthy, you're going to take care, you're going to give, it's going to be amazing. And the student says back to the Chavetz Chaim, remember you told me how hard it's going to be for me to give? So it's a test. It's not so easy. Right? Now, the money is not mine. I'm holding it for God. Am I good at distributing God's money? Like when I give charity, if your attitude is, now again, to be fair, the fact of the matter is I work. I do work. Sweat, toil, tears, whatever it takes. When you give charity, right, what are you doing? You are giving your time. You worked, I don't know, you worked uh, uh, 200 hours this month. And when you work 200 hours, you earned, I don't know, $10,000. So if you're going to give $1,000 to charity, right? So you're actually giving 20 hours of your time, right? My time has value. I went ahead, and I, that's why charity is so powerful. Because I'm not just doing a, a, what God wants. I'm not doing a mitzvah, put on my tzitzit, put on my tefillin, whatever I, mitzvah that I do. This is actually my time and effort and sweat that I worked really hard, and I'm giving it to you. It's like I'm giving a part of myself. I'm giving my time. What, what do I have that's more valuable than my time? Time is my most valuable uh, possession. And I just gave you 20 hours of my time. So it's a big deal. But at the same time, God is saying, look, this guy worked for 200 hours and he made $1,000. You worked for 200 hours and you earned $10,000. So uh, um, uh, what are you going to do with the money I gave you? Right? I, I could have uh, given you the $1,000 and him the $10,000. So it's true that when I work, that work is, is, is my time that I'm giving to the charity. But at the same time, I have to also keep in mind that God made me successful. So if I want to show I'm a good steward with God's money, I should give charity. If I don't want to show I'm a good steward, then God can give it to somebody else. There is a most famous story. Charity has a lot of famous stories. Maybe because the, the people that repeat the stories were always uh, people going around collecting. So the stories became famous, perhaps. I think the stories would have been Ditch of a Rebbe. Not 100% sure. But there were two people in town. One, a very, very wealthy man. We'll call him Chaim. And there was a poor person in town. We'll call him Yankel. Yankel just was not successful. No matter what he did, wherever he went, just things didn't didn't go well. And it's the day it's it's Erev Yom Kippur. It's the it's the day right preceding Yom Kippur. And Yankel's wife says, "Go out there, go earn some money." And he he goes out there, and he instead of earning any money, he. He just hangs out, maybe he drinks, whatever he does, he, he, he's just not, not making it. Comes home, 
He has a few pennies to give his wife from whatever he did that day. His wife is furious at him. She throws him out of the house. He didn't even get to eat. So it's the day, it's the fast is coming up, and our poor Yankel hasn't had a thing to eat. So he goes to synagogue, and in many synagogues, people like to go early, and they like to prepare themselves before the Kal Nidre. And Yankel's thinking to himself, you know, it's been a rough day. I, I was not successful today. My wife didn't even let me have something to eat. She's so frustrated with me. Um, at least let me get what we call a schmeck tabak. Let me go get a little, um, a little tobacco or whatever it is, the tabak that they would put in their nose. And I don't know, I tried it once or twice. It's not for me. Um, let me go to Chaim, the wealthy man. He has that big snuff box right in front of him. Let me, uh, let me go speak to him. So Yankel um, goes to the front of the synagogue because, of course, Yankel's poor, so he's all the way in the back. Chaim is from the wealthy members, and he's sitting all the way up front. And Yankel says, Chaim, can I have a little shmeck tabak? And he's like all embarrassed, right? It's normal. When you poor people speaking to wealthy people feel extremely intimidated. Chaim praying, very spiritual, and he looks up from under his talus, and he sees the poor uh, Yankel there, and he says... Chaim says to Yankel, Yankel, this is what you're asking me right before Kol Nidre for a little tabak. That's what you're thinking about. Chaim goes back to his prayers, and Yankel goes back to his seat. You can imagine broken, uh, disheartened, just depressed. But heaven was watching. And heaven said, uh, this is our Chaim over here, is not recognizing that, be- that he's because he's wealthy doesn't give him the right to knock down the poor person. No one says he has to make the poor person wealthy, but he asked him for something. He can't even help him with a little bit. He's so stingy with, with those things. He's putting his spirituality over helping others. Let's turn the tables. Let the wheel of fortune give a twist, and let's see where life takes everybody. So soon after Yom Kippur, um, Yankel uh, again tried out to work and he started becoming successful. Bought a little here, sold it over here, a little bit more. All of a sudden, things were going well. A few, few dollars on the table, better food on the table. His wife obviously is in a better mood. And slowly, slowly, Yankel is becoming wealthy. At the same time, our wealthy friend Chaim is uh, just the opposite. Everything he touches is disastrous. One business failing, next business fails, next idea doesn't work, and all of a sudden Chaim's watch is nose diving. Yankel is is like a rocket ship, and Chaim is on the other side of the roller coaster. So Chaim goes uh, goes to the Rebbe again. I believe it was a bit the Rebbe, and he says something's going on. Something is going on over here. I uh, I, I I was wealthy. And everything, everything's going wrong. So the Bidditcher Rebbe says, okay, let's start thinking. What, what, what did you do? What's going on in town? Anything strange happening? He says, yeah, you know, <laughs> happens to be the, the poor guy, Yankel, all, all of a sudden is a wealthy guy. He's giving charity left and right. He's becoming more important. All of a sudden, he was a guy nobody even talked to. And now all of a sudden, he's skyrocketing. So the Bidditcher Rebbe says, okay, let's think. Did anything happen? 
you know, over this last year, over this last year, did anything happen that uh, should cause this shift? It looks like your money's going to Yanko. What's going on? So Chaim is thinking. He says, yeah, I realize. You know what happened? What happened was that he, I was Yom Kippur, right, right before Kanidre. And Yanko came and asked me for a little tabak. And I said, come on, now's the prayer time. Maybe that's what I did wrong. So the Vidditcher Rebbe says, I bet that's it. That's what happened. He, a poor man, he asked you for something, and you, you, didn't, you didn't give it to him. So in heaven they decreed that you don't know how to treat your money, so they're going to give it to somebody else. So Chaim says, what should I do? So the, the Rebbe said, there's nothing to do. The, the only thing I can tell you is if there's ever a situation where Yankel is, uh, is asked by you for help, and he refuses you, uh, then you have a claim to get your money back. For years. Years, Chaim is now poor man sitting in the back of the synagogue. Yankel's risen in importance, and Yankel's daughter is now getting married to a very, very important family, because that's what happens. You become wealthy, you get your choice of, a, of, a, of a somebody on your level. So they're under the wedding canopy, under the chuppah, and they're, you know, they've given out some of the blessings, and Chaim comes running up to, uh, he figures, of all times, Yankel can't talk to him now, like he's too busy with his wedding. So Chaim comes running up, and he says, Yankel, maybe a little tabak, a little of that snuff, and immediately Yankel puts everything aside, pulls out his snuff box, and says, of course, from Chaim here. And Chaim faints on the spot because Yankel is the opposite of him. Yankel is a giver. Yankel is not a taker. He's a giver, which is one of the things we want to talk about as we discuss charity today. Yankel is a giver. Chaim faints. Oh, revive him. So Chaim says, you'll talk to me after the wedding. So after the wedding, they go to the Baditcha Rebbe. And uh, again, this Chaim is not the nicest person over here. Right? You see, he tried to sneak away in to get his money back, and it backfired on him. So they sat in front of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe explained the whole story, and Yang said, oh, of course, I'll help him, and if it was really his money in heaven, heaven just gave it to me, it's my pleasure to, to share the money with him, and we'll say they all lived happily ever after. But the bottom line is, right, you know, it's, in heaven, it's a test. What do I do with the money that God put in my hand? Do I use it wisely? Do I do what God wants me to do with it? Or do I all of a sudden pretend it's fine? You pretend it's yours, God doesn't have to, right? But God could take it away as easily as he gave it to you. And if you think you had it, it has nothing to do with your children or grandchildren. Right? When your wealth and trust funds is no guarantee, look at the world, is no guarantee what's going to be with the children. So let's look at... Uh, um, I was going to talk about Shemitah, but maybe not so much time left. I want to talk about a few fascinating rules when it comes to charity. So it's about being a giver, right? In other words, we said in our story that Yanko was the giver and, and Chaim was the taker. When it comes to charity, a pers- the, one of the reasons the Torah wants you to give charity, whether it's a forced tax, whether it's charity, is that when you give charity, you learn to be a giver. As we want, we all want to become, to become better, you have to be a giving kind of person. 
So Kaz had a very fascinating concept. Let's say you have $100 in your pocket, and you have a choice. You give $100 to one poor person, which is very helpful, or you give 100 singles to 100 single people. Now, the truth is, each a single on its own is going to buy me a bagel. You know what I mean? What can I do with a single? But if charity was only that the other person has to benefit, okay, let at least one person have a real benefit. Let them get the whole 100 But if part of charity is that I need to learn to be a giver, then I'm better off giving 100 individuals because each time I give, right, each time I give, it's it's, I'm being inculcated with this uh, idea of charity. We're going to continue this conversation um, in the next show because there's so many things we want to talk about. But the music is playing, so... We gotta go. I hope you enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for all our wonderful sponsors. Listen, you know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David finally in the back. I hope I listen to food for the Until next time, I'm Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build.